Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 291 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I am thrilled to have David Platt back on the podcast. It's been a great week. Max Lucado the other day, David Platt today. David Platt is a New York Times bestselling author. He is also a pastor of McLean Bible Church. We talk a little bit about the succession that he uh, was a part of at that church. This is a huge issue. Succession is a big issue in the church. It's a big issue in business. So we talk about that. But mostly in this episode, we talk about something that's really interesting to me. I've been studying, I'm a Christian, obviously. Uh, I have been studying atheism and the objections to Christianity in some great detail over the last couple of years and really intriguing. And so David did this trip to Southeast Asia where he uh, really, well, he'll, I don't want to spoil it, but he just um, hiked and did these in, incredible climbs into some of the worst poverty he's ever seen, and he has been all over the world. The place where he went was the birthplace of Hinduism and Buddhism. And uh, David and I talk about like, okay, in, in the midst of all that, and the most challenging questions to Christianity, like if God is so good, why is there evil? Uh, what about poverty? What about hell? What about eternity's existence? I mean, why, why has his faith not crumbled? And it's something I talked to N.T. Wright about later on this, uh, <laughs> on this podcast this fall. And I love David's answer. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. And plus, we talk about a brand new book that releases this week all about Something Needs to Change, where he talks about uh, those trips that he made to Asia and the impact they had on his life. So I think you're really going to enjoy this, regardless of your faith perspective or whether you work in the church or the business world. Love bringing you these conversations. And uh, love also answering your questions. So we're going to start something new in a couple of episodes called Hashtag Ask Carrie. And that'll be at the end of the podcast where I just take your questions. So if you've got a question you want to ask me, uh, I'm going to be selecting one per episode. And all you have to do is jump on the social platform of your choice, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, use the hashtag AskCarrie, post your question. Me and my team will comb social media for that. I'll do my best to give you my best answer to whatever question you happen to be asking. So excited for that. Also, um, you ever looked at a health insurance company benefits for your faith organization and had no idea what you're reading? Um, man, it can be confusing. And one of the challenges with healthcare, particularly in the U.S., is that most companies go with a one-size-fits-all. And as you know, even if you have 10 employees, not everybody's the same. So that's where Remodel Health has entered the picture. Um, they want to help you understand your benefits, also help you find cost-saving solutions. So, so far, they're a brand new company. They have saved nonprofits and charities, churches around the country, $7.2 million in healthcare. Yeah. So that money has gone directly back into the mission. Listeners of this podcast alone in just a few months have stewarded over $625,000 back into their mission. Just that is the raw savings of you guys so far on this podcast. So Remodel Health recognizes the intrinsic value of keeping healthcare costs sustainable without sacrificing the level of care you provide to your staff. It's not like, well, guys, you know, you're going to pay for everything yourself. No, sometimes the benefits increase while you save money. So if you're interested in learning more about their innovative solutions, which are technology-based, 
Visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, to download their church buyer's guide today for free. So that's remodelhealth.com forward slash carry to learn more. And did you know that if your website is over three years old, it's outdated? Yeah, you kind of know that, don't you? But you don't know what to do about it because it's so expensive to get it rebuilt. And uh, maybe it's a little bit beyond the teenager who used to do your website for free. That is just how fast things are moving today. So your website needs to be updated to stay up to date with technology, with design trends, so that you can impact more people. That's why our friends at Pro Media Fire are launching a brand new service that I'm excited about. It's called Pro Web Fire, and it's a subscription-based service. They're launching it this month, and you guys are the first in on it. They will build you a custom website and update it weekly as per your plan. Yes, weekly. And they're also including digital outreach and long-term strategies to reach people online. So it's not just like you have to do all the thinking. They will think with you on this. So because you guys are special... Uh, the listeners of this podcast will receive a free custom website build for the plan you choose. So that's a free custom church website to help you with your church growth. It's a pretty cool launch special. So how to access that? Go to ProWebFire.com, ProWebFire.com, and use the promo code CAREY2019, C-A-R-E-Y 2019, when you check out at ProWebFire.com. Well, guys, I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with David Platt. Uh, and again, I know a lot of you are faith-based or, or church-based if you listen, but if you're not, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation as well because uh, we kind of really get into it, particularly, uh, I think, about a third of the way through. So here's my conversation with New York Times bestselling author, David Platt. Well, David, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to have you again. It's great to be back. Yeah, thanks. So a lot has changed uh, since we had you. I think that was 2017, maybe. You were on the show. It'll be in the show notes anyway. And uh, you're now leading a church again. So tell us a little bit about what's changed in your life. And then I really want to do a deep dive on some of the questions you're raising in your your latest book. Yeah, sure. So yeah, a good bit has changed since we last talked. So I was leading the International Mission Board at that time, International Mission Organization, just supporting and 2,000 missionaries around the world in places where uh, they're least reached by the gospel and loved doing that, was like, yeah, so honored at the opportunity to do that, loved serving uh, those missionaries and the churches they represent. At the same time, really, really missed being on the front lines, shepherding God's people on mission as a pastor. And so I started filling in preaching uh, at uh, McLean Bible Church in Metro Washington, D.C. during that time. And I uh, was kind of doing both for a while and then uh, realized through a variety of circumstances that that was not going to be possible long term. And uh, so uh, since the Lord leading me to jump then fully back into pastoring and shepherding uh yeah, people on mission from the local church, and particularly even from this church. I mean, it's it's a pretty u- unique setting here in Metro DC. There's like over a hundred nations represented in the church, so the nations are here to reach, and and there's people going out from here all over the world. So uh, God's been really, really gracious, and uh, so I loved my time with the IMB, and I'm loving pastoring. It's interesting because you hear a lot of people these days talk about getting out of pastoring. You don't hear a lot of people saying how much they missed it. What did you miss about it? 
Oh, so much. Uh, I would say I, I love the, I mean, that picture, that's kind of my understanding of what it means to be a pastor, like shepherding people, people of God on the mission of God with the word of God for the glory of God. Like that's just kind of the, my framework. And okay. so uh, obviously that's, there's, there's preaching and teaching God's word, which I love doing involved in that. But it's not just that because I, I could do that even when I was at, I was at IMB or other places, like just traveling around teaching. But it's like walking week by week through with the word, through life, with people seeing life transformation, seeing people come to a relationship with Jesus, people grow in a relationship with Jesus, people uh, experience who he is, walk with him, and to be able to walk people through that process, like there's just nothing like it. And, uh, and so, and to do that, so it's interesting because I don't have any less zeal at the same time to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth that I did that in the way that drove me to the IMB. But I also know and said this the whole time I was at the IMB, like it's actually the local church that is the front lines for how that happens. And so uh, I really missed being in that sense in the front lines. Uh, that's not in any way to say that there's not a place for uh, IMB or, or people to lead in those kind of settings. Like I'm thankful the Lord gave me that opportunity for a bit, but uh, I that's that's part of what I missed uh, that kind of drove me back is just that walking with people on mission in the world. There's just nothing like it. I think you just filled up a lot of people's balloons, so to speak, you know, like mm -hmm. it can be pretty defeating sometimes in, in ministry. There's lots of challenges, but it's just wonderful to hear your passion for it. Well, you know, it's, and I, I just think about it. I just got back from some time in the Dominican Republic and Ethiopia. We had taken a, a variety of our folks uh, from the church here over uh, on a couple of different trips. And uh, I spent a good bit of time with different pastors there. I mean, I'm I'm out with these pastors in remote rural villages. I mean, they've got uh, you know, 20 people gathered together in their church. But just I mean, these are like heroes of mine. I mean, they nobody will ever know their names uh, and see what they're. But they're just faithfully week by week by week shepherding this this group of people in this remote area of the world to know and delight in and love uh, and exalt Jesus. Like it's, it's a pretty awesome picture. And so, uh, yeah, I got a lot to learn as a, as a pastor for sure, especially from, uh, yeah, pastors in settings like that. Hmm. Well, when you came to McLean, McLean's not exactly a small church and a long time was long, the, the founding pastor. He was not the founding pastor. Uh, but were, uh, how many years? 30. Oh, uh, he was there. He's, shepherding the church 37 years yeah yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so just about as long as i've been alive so that's that's pretty <laughs> yeah. long time predecessor who was loved and led it to new heights and made it multi-campus and so you know and how many people would attend mclean bible on the weekend now yeah, that's a good question right now I, I i'm not sure the exact numbers so we'll just say ballpark over ten thousand. yeah that's a lot of people um what have some of the opportunities and challenges been as you've moved into into that new role as really the the teaching slash lead pastor? Mm -hmm. I I would say the challenges there there are many. I mean there are so many evidences of grace 
here, especially when you step into a setting like this where, uh, by God's grace, for close to four decades, uh, it's this church has been faithfully led and through all kinds of challenges. And so I think the challenges are more that which is akin to any church when it comes to, okay, praise God for his grace uh, in past years that have gotten us to this point. So how do we move forward into the, into the future? Uh, so we're not going to always do, so certainly the most basic things, we're going to teach God's word, we're going to pray, we're going to love people, we're going to make disciples. So those things obviously never change, but how to best do that. Um, and especially in a context where you have uh, this many people, like we did like a survey uh, about a year ago in uh, just on a Sunday morning in the church and uh, just asking people kind of where they were spiritually. And it was pretty eye opening. Three statistics that stood out. One, uh, 11% of people said they feel like people know them at McLean Bible Church. Only 11. Yeah, 11%. So, uh, so that was pretty eye opening. Second one, second statistic that stuck out was 43% said uh, they were growing either a little spiritually or not at all. So almost half say, I mean, admittedly, I'm not really growing spiritually. And then uh, the third statistic, uh, 62% said, uh, so about two thirds said that they hardly ever, if ever, share the gospel. Uh, like that was defined as uh, less than two times over the last year. So either zero or one time. So um, you put that together, it's like, okay, so it's it's if we're not careful, we can have a crowd of people on a Sunday, but if we don't know and care for each other and we're not growing as disciples and making disciples, we're kind of missing the point. Uh, and so, okay, so that that when when you say what are the challenges, like that's the challenge. So how do we how do we change that, especially in a culture that uh, can be, as we know, pretty consumeristic? I mean, there's a reason why some people are glad not to be known. They actually come to a large church because they want to be anonymous. They they don't want to uh, have a bunch of people looking into their life. And so, but so how do you shepherd people to see the importance of this? How do you put in place uh, a, a picture, whether it's system structures, whatever, so that so that we are able to care for one another, know each and grow together in Jesus and actually do what Jesus has left us on this earth to do. So uh, so we're walking through all kinds of things to say, praise God for what he's done in the past. How do we stand on the shoulders of those who've led in the past and go into the future with as much zeal for those three things, like knowing and caring for each other, growing as disciples and making disciples. Yeah. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And you asked the question well yourself, how do you respond to that kind of challenge? Like, what are you, and I know you're not through it. I imagine you're not through it, but like what, where is the compass pointing right now in terms of how you're going to address that? Well, I would say, uh, so st structurally, um, I would say that the compass is pointing and we've got to uh, foster community in, I mean, in groups, in uh, places where people can know and be known and belong and so we've we've got to strengthen that big time in order to do that we've got to simplify a variety of things we're doing in order to focus on that at the same time what i don't want to do is just jump into okay yeah if we just kind of fix this structurally it'll all be figured out i uh was just a few months ago um 
was in South Korea, and I've been there before, but God did a fresh work in my heart there um, when it comes to prayer and the history of the church in South Korea. Uh, I mean, the, the quick of it is in 1900, the Korean Peninsula is less than 1% Christian, and then by 2000, so one short century, over 10 million followers of Jesus in South Korea alone, and not just following Jesus, but second uh, most missionaries sent out from any country behind the United States, which is pretty amazing when you realize it's it's the size of Florida and California combined. Like uh, so, man. So I mean, I I just I don't even know how to think. Like, imagine a country that right now is less than one percent Christian. Like, take Afghanistan. Can you imagine a mm-hmm. hundred years from now there being 10 million followers of Jesus in Afghanistan. Like you wow. would say, that is miraculous, which that's what yep. God has done. And uh, so how has he done it? Like you look at the history of the church there. I mean, they they have been serious about prayer and they still are. Like they get up, there's prayer meetings every morning in these, these churches that I was in at five in the morning. They pray all night on Friday nights. They've done this for year, decades so yeah, we're facing a variety of challenges as a church and in the culture we live in, right? But I just said, if we try to fix these things without like desperate prayer, we're missing the whole point. And uh, I mean, I, I'm i ashamed to say, like I had never done all night prayer, like never in my hmm. Christian life, my life as a pastor. And I, I just came back, I was like, church, we're doing this. And so we got together on a Friday night and started at eight o'clock and went till six in the morning. And it was awesome uh just hmm. being with god pleading before god and it was really encouraging because there's because we have just a lot of people from different backgrounds in our church different nations like some of them grown up with this kind of thing and have been like why don't we do this here and so and we've continued doing that with late night prayer and uh i mean it's I, the last thing I want to do as a pastor is like I'm like kicking myself that as a pastor before I've not led the church in this way but the last thing i want to do as a pastor is kind of program my way through challenges um without like desperate dependence on god in prayer like hours just pleading before him uh as a church i don't don't mean to be uh, facetious at all but i think a lot of people listening would would be like you like i've never done all night prayer and i've done i've done some long prayer sessions but one of the Questions is always, well, like, what do you pray about all night? Like, what, what is that actually? How do you fill the time? Like, yes. how does that how does that happen? So fill us in a little bit. Like, yeah. what do you well, pray about all I night? I would have asked the same question. And I remember the first time we were like, okay, what are we going to do for like yeah, I know. 10 hours? Like, okay. Like, I don't, yeah. So what we did just on a practical level is we just split it up into one hour blocks. And uh, we planned to go 45, 50 minutes and then just take 10, 15 minute break and then just kind of cycle through. And so then you think through 45 minute blocks, then you're like, okay, we're going to pray. And so, I mean, uh, what to how to describe all the different ways we pray. Like, so there's times where we're praying in small groups. There's times we're praying all together out loud at the same time. There's certainly singing, uh, I mean, worship through prayer that's happening in that way. There's people praying on stage, just leading everybody in prayer and hopefully modeling prayer. Um, so, we just kind of, and oftentimes we'll just take a passage of scripture and just be like, okay, let's pray through this, either in small groups or so put it on the screen. And so take the Great Commission, like just pray the word um, and pray according to how the Spirit leads through that 
I mean, that'll, that'll last for a little while. And then you go on another passage. And so this last time, I mean, we, uh, there was a lot going on that week. I didn't have time to prepare it. Like we got to, now we weren't doing all night. This was just an eight to midnight. And, but I, I, I got in there. It was like, all right, what, what are we going to do for four hours? And uh, I like, seriously, like I'm, I've got a few other leaders, a couple of our pastors and some, uh, our other leaders up there. And I'm like, okay, all right, we're just going to, here, here's the general plan. And we just, we, I, I walked our church through just the uh, acrostic P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, and yield. And so I said, all right, we have four hours. We're going to do an hour on each of these. And uh, so, and we did, and it flew by and it was amazing, Gary. Like, I, I mean, God met with, I just think when God sees like a people who've gathered together to seek him, like, it's not going to be a disappointing time. It's not going to be like, oh, what do we do? Like the Lord blessed it. it. It was, it was, I mean, one of the most incredible times I've had, like in my Christian life in prayer, like without question. So anyway, that gives you a little hint. No, oh, that's amazing, David. And uh, I really appreciate you breaking that down because I think what happens often is, you know, particularly in Christian space or spiritual space, you hear about these things about people praying all night and you're like, yeah, it's just, I don't even know what that would be like. Mm -hmm. Right. I got my three minutes and that's done. And that's, so I I appreciate your honesty. Um, When you think about outreach in the community and before we dive into your new book, which I really, really enjoyed, um, I want to talk because I mean, uh, your church is like so many other churches. It's got strong history, strong history of outreach and growth. And yet, clearly, this is not the 1990s, the 2000s, or even a decade ago. What do you think some of the challenges are for reaching D.C. and the whole D.C. metro area as you move into the future? Like when you're looking at connecting with unchurched people, what are some of the um, challenges and, and even maybe some of the, I don't want to say strategies, but approaches that you would be looking at? Like, guys, something, something's got to change in that, too. Yeah, sure. I would say, so the first challenge that comes to my mind, and this is partly based on where I was in my uh, time with the Lord just yesterday. So uh, we're walking through a Bible reading plan as a church together, but it was in John 4 when Jesus just says to his disciples after this conversation with the woman at the well, one, she makes it look pretty easy. Like she just goes back, right, and uh, says to everybody in the town, come see this man and as they're coming out, Jesus uh, says to his disciples, open your eyes, look at the fields, they're white for harvest. I think, uh, so yes, I, and I'm about to talk about just some of the specific challenges in the culture and the context in which we live, but I think before that is the challenge, so pastorally the way I think about it is I I pray, it was actually just with our other pastors right before jumped on uh, this, this call to... Uh, we were just praying for boldness in uh, the people that in our own lives and the people God's entrusted us to shepherd. Like we, we can't control a lot of things that are going on in the culture around us, but we can control like our confidence in the gospel to actually change yeah. lives. And uh, I think a lot, I, there's a reason why two thirds of the people sitting on a Sunday hardly ever, if ever share the gospel in the church I pastor, I think it's either one, they, they don't actually believe the gospel or two, like they believe it, but they just don't have confidence. And when they share it with somebody that it's going to lead to something good, like they're afraid for a variety of reasons. And so 
I just, I want to give them confidence in the gospel. And uh, so even when I think about when we have just intentionally, I mean, I, I share the gospel every week and, uh, and in that way, trying, trying to model even how to do that, but uh, just trying to make eye contact with unbelievers who are in our gathering. But even like on Easter, like, and this goes back to what we were just talking about with prayer, like we had one of those prayer nights, then we had Easter and just gave a call for people to like come forward and respond and trust in Christ. And I mean, the spirit moved. It was amazing that I couldn't wipe the smile off my face all day long. Like we, uh, it was, it was, it just felt, I don't want I don't want to over-exaggerate, but it was like Pentecost-like, like people were getting baptized. It was, but all that to say what it did, the reason I share that is it gave people confidence in the gospel. Like people will respond, obviously not everybody, but people will respond when this gospel is shared. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind is I want to make sure to do everything I can to shepherd people to, to, to be emboldened, encouraged by the gospel, emboldened with the gospel. And then to be intentional. So that's where we're just always talking about, okay, look at your sphere of influence. Uh, let's identify. I think about what our uh, young adults specifically have done. And uh, the brother who leads them has done an incredible job just of helping them identify who are the people in their sphere of influence right around them and how can they be intentional through about sharing the gospel with them through taking the lunch, writing a note, uh, just different, different avenues. And so I just think Okay, so I, I want to foster that, um, knowing knowing that we live in an increasingly, uh, well, I was about to say increasingly secular, picture atheistic, and just uninterested in religion. At the same time, when I look around me in Metro Washington D.C., I have opportunities to share the gospel with tons of people who are very open, like a lot of Muslims, Hindus, people from different backgrounds who are very open to talking about God. Uh, and so I think the most challenging conversations are the more, uh, yeah, conversations with people who have yeah, gotten pretty hard, hardened toward even the idea of God, apathetic. But that's where uh, I just think, so one of the things we were just working on is some intentional outreaches we're doing specifically when it comes to uh, Title I school communities. So this would be uh, lower income communities that we're going and we're doing tons of work and working toward church planting. And, and again, I, sorry, man, I just keep going on and on, but different things going on. No, One I'm other thing listening. here, and this kind of attaches it together. What I find, so I just went with hundreds of our members to some different countries to share the gospel. And I find people are like totally emboldened to do that there. Uh, like, it's like, that's why I'm here. I'm on a mission trip. Right. I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm never going to see these people again. There's like less fear. Uh, <laughs> so what what I think is helpful is giving those kind of opportunities in even some different places right around us. So going into communities where we may not, but then realizing, okay, I can do the same thing here. Now, not doing that, though, in a way that's just going to, we're going to be disconnected. We want to tie all those intentional outreach events to church planning efforts that are going on there. But as, as I, I find it helpful in equipping our people to do evangelism and disciple making, to, uh, to share the gospel, maybe in context where it's a little easier right where they live now, and then, then saying, okay, you can, you can do the same thing in your workplace. No, this is so helpful, David. How do you, when you share it personally, I mean, not behind a platform or pulpit or whatever when you're preaching, but just 
Can you give us an example of how that would show up in your daily life these days? A couple of things come to my mind. So jumping in an Uber, uh, which do fairly often, and uh, I just jump right in. I've only got a limited time. And so I just say, hey, do you, uh, I'll ask, do you go to church anywhere? Do you know anything about Jesus? Uh, oftentimes there are people from that I'm talking with from different backgrounds who maybe have never been in a church, don't know much about Jesus, or have ideas about Jesus that are just completely wrong. And so, yeah, we'll just dive in and just I'm working like to share the gospel intentionally. So that's kind of, but those are, those are kind of one-offs, so to speak. Uh, I think about probably the primary consistent evangelistic out, uh, outlet I have is through where I exercise, I do CrossFit. And so there in the gym, like I'm, I'm constantly looking to the way I, I try to equip our folks to share the gospel is we just talk about sewing, uh, weaving threads of the gospel in the fabric of our conversations. So just think about, and I got this from uh, some missionaries in the Middle East who were living in a country where it's totally illegal to share the gospel. It's illegal for anybody to convert to faith in Christ. And I said, so what do you do? And they said, we share the gospel all day long. And they basically said, in the, this business they run with, with Muslims in the Middle East, they're just constantly weaving threads of the gospel, talking about who God is, his love, his holiness, his justice, talking about sin, the seriousness of sin before God, talking about uh, Jesus, like who Jesus is, what makes him unique, uh, and what he's done. So they're just, and then faith. Like trusting in God's grace, not trying to work to earn the favor of God, uh, eternity, like why this matters forever. So basically the way they described it is we just want to continually weave threads of the gospel into every, the fabric of all our conversations with Muslims and then look for opportunities to bring all those together and just pray that God will open eyes to this tapestry of grace that's been woven in front of them. And so, so that's what I'm doing at at the gym. Like I'm just looking for every, I don't. And how do you do that? If I'm, if I'm working out next to you, you, you'd talk to some guys on a regular basis. Yeah. Maybe not right, right in the middle of a workout, but yeah. So I'm talking about the character of God. I'm talking about, yeah, God did this in my life. God's doing this in my life. Like, I'm not talking like an atheist. I'm talking like, I right. actually believe there's a God who is leading, guiding, directing, not just my life, but things around uh, me. And then, and then I'll look for opportunities to talk about, I mean, Jesus, like, just to say, yes, I mean, I'll just outright, yeah, what do you think about Jesus? Uh, and just start conversations about Jesus. So it's it's kind of before we're working out, after we're working out, I'm talking about, by God's grace, this happened in my life. By God's grace, this happened. Uh, so I'm not trying to be like annoyingly super spiritual, but I am trying to talk like Jesus is actually my, like I'm dialoguing the gospel like continually instead of just looking for an opportunity to get a a monologue three minute presentation in which, so I want to look for those opportunities too, but, but just constantly dialoguing the gospel and then inviting them to come to the church that's right down the street to see this gospel made visible in the church. And so like for Easter, when we had that day, like we invited a bunch of people there and then brought them over to the house afterwards for lunch. Uh, so just looking for intentional opportunities along those lines. But then even I think about, uh, yeah, just, couple of days ago, I'm working out with one guy. We're kind of doing some lifting stuff together. So we have a good bit of time in between lifts and I'm totally, yeah, getting to know his story. He's like, man, I need to get, I need to, we need to talk more. I need to get in church. I've got some things going on in my life. And so that lead is going to lead to 
yeah, getting together with him outside of the gym to dive in deeper. No, that's so good. That's so good. And you're finding, and I think this is what scares so many people, David, but you're finding a receptivity to it. You're not the weirdo in the gym. You're not the, oh, don't talk to that guy. I would say some people probably think that. Like, uh, yeah. I, I'm not like under illusion. Everybody thinks I'm cool or anything. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons they don't think that. But uh, uh, <laughs> so I, I'm not, and that's what I would, I, I would say. That's the thing though, right? That's going to happen to anybody. It happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to yeah. anybody. And so at some point, we just kind of have to get over that uh, and just realize, okay, not everybody. And and I, I think that's actually helpful. Like I, I was talking with a group of Muslim guys just uh, two weeks ago, and uh, like it was pretty clear they're not really open to believing what I was sharing with them. And uh, and I just I got up next to them really close. And I said, well, we can work together on some things that we were talking about and do it joyfully together and have a great time together. And then I smiled and I said, the whole time I'm going to be encouraging you to trust in Jesus. And I'm going to do that because I care about you. And they kind of smiled. They were like, yes, we understand. Like, so yeah, uh, you're doing what you're supposed to do. They're not going to, they kind of, yeah, it was almost kind of like they would have been disappointed if I didn't want to share with them, if I actually believed this. No, that's fair. I I appreciate you going there because I think you put your finger on something that is changing in the culture. That kind of dialogue felt easier a decade ago than it does today in today's climate. And I think you helped a lot of people with that. Well, I think that's true. I think, and there's no question. I mean, we, we live in a changing climate, but again, we can't control that. What we can control is our trust in the gospel. Uh, so I just, I pray for that continually in my own heart. Like God, uh, yeah, give me confidence, like Romans one sixteen kind of confidence in the power of the gospel. Like somebody shared it with me and my life is totally changed for all of eternity. Uh, help me to have that kind of confidence to share with others. So you got a brand new book. It's called uh, Something Needs to Change. Great title, by the way. And I love how early on you say, it makes me wonder if we've lost our capacity to weep. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you wrote the book and what you mean by that? Yeah. I. Uh, so basically, to summarize um, this book, it's, it's different than... Uh, in format than anything I've written. It's it's like an eight-day trek through the Himalayas. Uh, so I, I, I go overseas uh, a good bit, but out of all the places I've been, these mountains and villages way up high in these mountains, more than any other place I've been, represent this collision of urgent spiritual and physical need, like urgent physical need. Uh, they did some research in these mountains and found that half of the kids were dying before their eighth birthday. Like, I don't even, I've got four kids, Lord willing, another one on the way. Uh, I, one of my biggest fears is something happened to one of them. I can't imagine that being an expectation for a half of them. And, uh, and they're dying of preventable diseases. And uh, so just all kinds of pictures of extreme poverty and, and the byproducts of that and uh, children being sold into slavery, like young girls, being trafficked and so so you just you're walking those trails like you come face to face with those physical needs and spiritual needs like you you're talking to people and you you meet somebody on the trail and say what do you know about jesus and they'll say who's that like they've never heard his name it's like you're talking about somebody in a village nearby that they've not met yet and so they've never ever heard the gospel and uh this collision of urgent spiritual and physical need so my first time i ever walked through those trails by the time i got out 
I got back to this small little place where we were staying and I just, and something happened that night in particular, just walking by basically some brothels uh, where these little girls are taken. And uh, I just found myself on my face, just weeping, like literally weeping. Uh, Like I haven't cried since my dad died. Like, I mean, it was just, I lost it. I couldn't, you know, one of those times you just can't control it. Like it's just, it's, uh, but what, what hit me. And so why I wrote the book and what I'm saying there at the beginning of the book is like, why is it that I, I can preach every week as a pastor. I could, I can lead a mission organization for that matter. Like I can, I can talk about urgent needs in the world, but why is it so rare that I would be so moved with compassion to just fall on my face weeping for those in need? And like, I, I have seminary degrees. I know biblical truths. I've written books. Like I've written books like about need in the world. Like about this. Yeah. It's not like this is your first visit to the subject. Yeah. What's missing in my heart that that's not happening and not just in my own life. Like when was the last time I was in a, church gathering where we were like weeping for those in need and it just uh caused me like something needs i mean the reason i titled this book something needs to change uh well partly because after that we ended up so we go to the airport and we leave and uh this friend of mine who's on the trip with me said david what's your takeaway from this trip and i just said i just know something needs to change and i think about that on two levels like something needs to change those mountains like People need to be able to live and uh, girls need to not be trafficked. Uh, so, and people need to hear about Jesus. People don't need to die without ever hearing about Jesus. So that needs to change. But I think uh, maybe on a more fundamental level, something needs to change in my own heart uh, that can lead to change like that in the world. So anyway. Well, and you, you talk about that. I found in a really compelling way. So I've been on multiple mission trips, not to the Himalayas, but to Central America. Um, Probably a disproportionate number of leaders listening because we have a lot of church leaders listening have done something in Africa, India, you name it, they've been there. And then, of course, you have probably the majority of people listening who haven't. They're like, okay, I've seen the pictures, I've watched videos on YouTube, I get your newsletters, thank you. I write a check, but it, it seems rather surreal. And meanwhile, I need to buy a new car and I don't have money in the bank, right? So, or whatever, whatever the issue is, you know, suburban issues. There is that because I remember the first time I saw real poverty and I remember my heart breaking and I came back trying to explain it to the people at home and like, they just can't get it. It's like I was speaking a different dialect. And then as you point out in the book, you quickly reacclimatize to your comfortable North American life. Now, some things are permanently different in my life because of my experience with the poor and the way we spend our money and um, we sponsor kids and, you know, it's part of my rhythm. But I don't know whether I've had that breaking that you describe, like something something just really got you on that trip, didn't it? Yeah. And, and, the, and the way I describe it in the book, because part of my goal in this book is like to come out from behind the podium that I like reach behind and like stage where I'd stand in front of people like, and uh, just be honest with, I mean, when you are in those mountains and you're face to face with urgent need like that, uh, 
you can't help but to ask some pretty heavy questions and wrestle with some pretty heavy things. And that's why in the book, I just try to open up my journals and say, I, I just got to be honest. I wrestle with the things I preach uh, and mm. truths I believe. Like, let me, so let me come out from behind like my uh, preaching for a minute and just uh, like, I, I'm asking the question, where is the goodness of God in the, in the justice of God in the midst of poverty and oppression? Like, I, you can't help but not ask, like, why, why are some people born into earthly suffering only to move on to eternal suffering without ever even hearing the name of Jesus. Like, yeah, if we yeah. believe in the doctrine of heaven and hell, then they suffer on earth, is your point, and then and then they rot in hell. Like, what what is like, that? Yeah. And how can there be a good God? How how can you not wrestle with those questions? And so that's so what I try to do in the book is like honestly bring those questions forefront, and not in a way that I hope to like tie a tidy bow on them. I want to ask those questions humbly before God. I don't want to ask them with, with pride as if I know better than God. At the same time, I, th- I think I think we've got pictures in Scripture, whether it's Job or Habakkuk or even Jesus on the cross, like asking questions. Um, so, uh, so to ask those questions uh, with the Bible open, wrestle through them, and, uh, and then let those questions, the way I, I put it is uh, to let a lot of why questions that maybe we don't know answers to. Um, although we, we, yeah, so along the way, try to dive into what we do know, but those why questions quickly lead to like what questions, because, okay, I may not be able to explain this or that, but I do know like my life needs to look different as a result of what I've seen. Like I need to look like something does need to change. I know that something changed my life, my family, my church. Like we, we can't go on with business as usual. Uh, if if this is a reality in the world we live in. So I want to go back to the why questions. First of all, I just want to nuance something I said. I mean, I said rot in hell, and uh, that is a stereotype, I should say. I've read C.S. Lewis on eternity. Uh, if you listen to or read N.T. Wright on heaven and hell and so on, there are far more nuanced understandings of what the scripture would say about eternal separation and what that means than simply that metaphor. So I just want to step back and say, no, that's that's the wrong choice of words on my part. But um, I want to read from your book. You say, in a universe governed by a good God, and listen, I'm doing a lot of reading in the secular space these days, so I'm really, really glad that you're addressing this. But in a, in a universe governed by a good God, is hell really a place? And does it actually last forever? If it really exists and really won't end, then why are so many people born into an earthly hell only to move on to an eternal one? And will billions of individuals who don't believe in Jesus recalling going there, even if they never had a chance to hear about him, really uh, end up going there, even if they never had a chance to hear about him? And end of the quote. So those are the kinds of things Rob Bell uh, wrote about about a decade ago and drew a lot of attention. Exactly those questions those are the questions that some of the evangelical atheists today would ask and, and, and secularists. Uh, David, I want to spend a little more time on those questions because I think it's a really honest framing of the question. How did you wrestle those questions down while you were um, you know, on the trip and then processing the trip after? Because you saw desperate poverty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on both physical and spiritual level, like I, I think we're... Where uh, so some of those questions 
uh, kind of came to a head most. And uh, I share about this uh, just at one particular place where uh, we came to this river and uh, there's bodies burning on funeral pyres. These are people who died like 24 hours before. And uh, yeah, they, friends, family members bring their body there, place it on a funeral pyre, set it ablaze. As ashes go down in the river, they believe this is helpful in the process of reincarnation. And I, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this picture, and you just can imagine like seeing flames, smelling burning bodies, and you think, okay, if the Bible is true, uh, then I'm looking at a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Yeah, I mean, Jesus himself uses words like, fire that never goes out will never be quenched like jesus himself uses those words so okay like never ever be quenched so yeah so i'm wrestling with that so how do i how do, how do i wrestle with that uh well uh how do i summarize uh hmm. i don't think there's again like easy answers here there's not like tidy bows but i do think it comes down to this is part of what i walk through in the book is at that point and i and i I've got a lot to learn from, like, I, I, there's a brother, uh, a guy in the book that uh, has been working for 20 years in those mountains, and he's really been helpful to me on these things because he basically said to me when I'm wrestling through, through this, uh, David, we've really got two options at this point with the emotions uh, we're, you're, you're wrestling with. One is to uh, just disbelieve the Bible, like throw it out and say it's not true. Uh, what Jesus said is not true. Um, Jesus is not necessary to go to heaven. Like, heaven, like there's all kinds of different directions <laughs> that can go. So th that's one option. I mean, you can do that, and I would say that's a Rob Bell type response. Um, so that's one option: disbelieve the Bible. Second option is to actually believe the Bible and trust God's word, and uh, and not not that that means you've got it all figured out and you. Uh, can understand it all but you're going to believe the bible and you're going to live like you believe the bible which means you're going to live with an urgency to make the good news of god's love and jesus known to as many people as possible as long as you have breath on this earth like that's really the only two options and uh it doesn't make sense like a middle ground here like okay i'm going to believe the bible but not really try to make the gospel known like that just that's like that's like the coldest uh yeah way you could live like that makes no sense so david i realized we could spend the full hour or a day or a year on this question but i want to ask it anyway why didn't this kill your faith because there are people who see exactly what you saw and they walk away we live in a year right now an era of deconversion stories very well-known christians who are walking away from their faith going you know what i've seen too much suffering not sure the bible is what it is so why 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 did this not, and why have things like this deepened your faith, not killed it? Hmm. That's a great question, Gary. Uh, because, I mean, it does, I, I've certainly found myself, uh, and I've found myself in this way at different points in my life. I just think about my time in college, uh, State University campus was uh, a time of searching and exploring, and, uh, and I share about that some in the book, just exploring different religions and but 
whenever I've asked this question, okay, is the Bible true? I, I'm just convinced it is. So why am I convinced it is? <laughs> I know. I believe, I believe See, cause it's I, true. I'm, I'm, I'm diving I, into other things too. And you say in the book that, you know, this is the birthplace of Buddhism and uh, was it Hinduism as well? Yes. I can't remember. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And you know, so you're walking right into the jaws of that. It's not like I haven't seen other worldviews, but if anything, the study of those seems to deepen my understanding of God. And I can't, I don't know that there's a good answer, but I want to know why, why you aren't one of the growing choruses of people either casting doubt or walking away or I'm just curious. I would say that the best way to summarize it is I, they're all positions of faith that we could step into Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, Christianity. Yeah. Like they're all, everything's a belief all system. Staking Fair enough. Your life on, you believe this is true. And I guess the best way to summarize it without going into in depth, like uh, I did some extensive teaching on world religions uh, one night, it's something we do called Secret Church, but like apologetic type things, but I just, I don't believe the answers that atheism gives are any more satisfying. In fact, not, not even more satisfying. I mean, true or satisfying or good. Like, uh, just, all right. So what are the other options just to think through? Okay. Then what are the other options that, uh, that there is no God, that this world is just random, that, uh, good and evil are just kind of what we manufacture them to be. And in the end there will be no, justice i mean that's that's a like when i read atheist scholars talking about uh good and evil in the world and how we are products of our dna and we just dance to its music i think that's that's the last thing i'm going to say to a a girl who's been trafficked like this like i'm sorry like your dna his dna is just dancing to it and in the end it's all going to be it's not, not going to matter. You just had a bad lot. Like, that's not true. Like, there's justice that will reign in the end. And uh, there's a good God who wants his love to be and hope to be made known about among in that little girl's life. And I want to be uh, a part of making that good news known to her. I, I, I go down that road. I go down a road of uh, Buddhism, like try harder and harder and do better. I mean, I, when I'm talking to people in these mountains and they're, they're like hope is that their next life is going to be better because they burn enough candles, uh, in this life. Like, and I just, I don't see, uh, that which is true or good. And, uh, and I believe Jesus is true and he's infinitely good because I believe that I want that to be evident in the way I live. In the way I lead the church. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, you know, it, it's, uh, the more I look, the more I ask questions, the more I keep coming back in some of the alternate, because it's all a belief system, right? Agnosticism is a belief system. Everything's a belief system. But it's like the questions there are larger than the questions that I have in, in my own worldview as a Christian. And uh, I, just, I just think that's really, really well said. So you run into, and, and this is the other thing too, right? I mean, global poverty has been cut in half in our lifetime and so on. But you, you ran into, like, do you want to tell the story of that first day where you met the guy in the village? And he, this is gross, but he was missing an eye. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Sure. Well, it's just, uh, so that, 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 that was, and it really, so this, the book is a compilation of a couple tracks, but that is the first village I ever walked into in those mountains. And we walk up. The first person I see is this guy. He's holding like a towel or shirt, something over his eye. 
uh, his right eye and, uh, or what I think is his right eye. And, uh, he's kind of looking down. You can tell he's in pain. And then we start talking to him and he takes that off and his eyes just missing. It's like, a uh, yeah, you can just you know, look into his head through his, where his eye is. And you can tell this infection just taking over his whole face and, uh, like really, really serious. And he doesn't have, I mean, that's kind of the way things work in, uh, uh, impoverished situations like this, like a simple infection could can just begin to take over and kill you eventually. Uh, so seeing this physical need, and then that's one of the other questions I try to wrestle with in this book is, okay, what's this man's greatest need? Like for somebody to fix his eye or for him to hear about Jesus? Like physical need, spiritual need, because I, I hear, uh, yeah, I, I hear some people like in the church be like, we just need to preach the gospel. And that's what's most important. And I hear others like, well, it's just as important, like equally important to uh, care for physical needs. Uh, and so, and the result is there's a lot of work, even that's done, it's called like missions that uh, does a lot of care for physical needs, but like doesn't ever share the gospel. And there's a lot of people who share the gospel and like, it's like they're ignoring physical needs. So I try to wrestle uh, through that as well. The thing is what I, what I, yeah, I'm so thankful for uh, with the people that are on this trek with me in the book is they're not just asking these questions like philosophically or theologically so they can have like really cool discussions or challenging discussions even in uh, like comfortable places around the world. Like they're, they're doing it. So they're, they're working hard. Uh, and these mountains, it's not easy to do this with the gospel uh, that have been people who've died because they believe the gospel, because they're sharing the gospel. Um, but I mean, they're working hard and have been for decades now trying to get uh, medical care. And we're doing that for this guy after we met him. Uh, so trying to get medical care and doing it with the greatest news in the world that God loves wow. this guy and has made a way for him to have eternal life through Jesus. What are some of the other experiences? I mean, because you mentioned sex trafficking. I remember you went into one village and really the book is a travelogue. You know what it reminded me a lot of? Um, my favorite Henry Nouwen book is one that nobody ever talks about. It's the Genesee Diary. And it was the beginning of, I think it was the first book he wrote. He was still at Yale. I give it away a lot, recommend it a lot. But he just went to a monastery to kind of find his soul for six months. And he just kept a journal. And so some days you get like he was baking bread and nothing happened. And the next day you get this profound insight and it kind of shaped the Henry now and we've come to know. And you wrote it like a journal slash travelogue where we're on the trip with you. And so I really, really appreciated the style. Um, so if you're thinking it's going to be like Radical or one of your other books, uh, no, this is totally different, right? Which is cool. Harmony would love to like take multitudes of people with me in those mountains, like on the yeah. trails, obviously physically, that's just not possible. So this there would be cool. some casualties if well, you took multitudes of yeah. people, the way you describe it, not, well, not everybody would yeah, make it home. Yeah. There's a variety of reasons why that's probably not the wisest thing to do. So th this is my like attempt to bring these trails to, to us. And uh, so, you know, we've talked about some of the heavy things. One of the, one of the things I try to do in the book is not just so yes to show like the need, but then to show the opportunities uh, that God has given us to be a part of spreading like hope in otherwise like hopeless situations. So just telling stories about people I've met on those trails who were 
teachers or engineers, uh, like students, retirees, like people who are using unique gifts God's given them. I'll tell one story about a uh, a guy who is an expert in aquaponics, which I didn't know what aquaponics was, uh, but uh, no it's basically mm-hmm. using trout waste, like trout poop, to create a system of vegetation and nourishment. I mean, I, even now, like I'm doing a horrible job, but I have to read it in the book to like really get it accurately because, but anyway, what's so awesome is listen to this guy who he's a retiree. His wife have come up and to the mountains and uh, uh, are using aquaponics as a vehicle through which to help like real physical needs. And they're doing it with the gospel. And I'm just like, this guy's very different than me. I don't know anything about aqu- aquaponics. Like I may have a seminary degree, but this guy is far more equipped by God's grace to make the gospel known in a unique way here than I am or that a lot of people are. But that's kind of the beauty. Like the the subtitle of the book is called to make your life count in a world of urgent need. And I just we got a, a conviction that God wants each of our lives to count for spread of his goodness in a world of urgent need. Right. We've all been given unique gifts and grace from God. It can be you like each of us. And I think, I think we just don't realize that. I think we, we think, okay, well, somebody else, that's great. What they can do, what this person can do. Like, no, like what each of us, every single person listening to this has unique gifts by God's grace. that can be instruments in his hand for his glory. It, not just in a world of urgent need, like far from them, but right around them. And and then maybe in ways far from them, in ways beyond what they can imagine. And so just trying to tell some stories of people meeting along the way, uh, both who live in this country where I was tracking, but then also who have moved there and have seen uh, God use their lives in ways that they like really never could have dreamed of. So how are you different? Like you say, something needs to change in you. How are you different coming back from that? Because it was a few years ago. Yeah. So uh, there, was, <laughs> there was a lot that uh, changed uh, after that, that trip. And actually, uh, and I share about some of these things in the book, um, just, just on a, a tangible level. Like I, I came back, I started talking to my wife about, Maybe God's leading us to move over there. And uh, so we start praying through that, really exploring that. Um, it, was while, it was actually while I was doing that. So this was after my first trek. I've been back uh, other times since then. But uh, it was during that time that the International Mission Board came and talked to me about uh, potentially leading, uh, leaving the church where I was. And so I was in the middle of, praying about maybe moving overseas and was actually leaning toward that. But then just as Heather and I prayed and just asked, okay, well, why would we, we, why would we be willing to move over there and not like move into a position to mobilize and yeah, shepherd multitudes of people to go there. So anyway, God ended up, that's how God led us to international mission board um, and so that was just a tangible like change in our lives that happened as a result of that. Uh, but then, as we've already talked about, and God directed me into where I'm at right now, and I, I would say, yeah, and I just got back from these trails a couple months ago, whether it's the way I use my time, my money, uh, 
the way I shepherd the church, the only way I can describe is like a Romans 15, like deeper ambition than ever to see Jesus known where he's not been known, not, he's not known right now. And, uh, his hope known in those places and immobilized. Like we've got some things that are happening right now through, uh, through not just the church, but through a uh, ministry I lead called Radical that uh, are, I hope, I hope going to make a, a significant impact when it comes to uh, yeah, making the hope of Christ known in otherwise hopeless situations. But so I share all that, but I, I want to just on the, before moving on to anything else, like saying I am in under no presumption that like God is going to, do the same thing in other people's lives. Like not everybody's supposed to lead an international mission organization. Not everybody's supposed to uh, pastor a church or this or that, but that's kind of the beauty. Like God's going to lead us in all kinds of different ways to do all kinds of different things. The question is, are we open? Are we willing to open our eyes and our hearts? Like we're willing to weep and uh, are willing to get close enough to people in order to, to experience that kind of reaction because I mentioned in the book, like I, on the way over there, had actually written a sermon on the plane. Like I was working on a sermon on poverty yeah. and I had written it from like, I mean, no tear ever came to my mind or came to, came to my eye. And I was just like, I, I can, it's, it's like frightening how much I could talk about poverty and think about it and not like feel it. So what happens when we're willing to feel like sense of the sense of need around us and uh and then open our lives to whatever god wants to use us to do in response yeah so and david i mean i think i think i've seen that in your life and so have lots of other people i mean you're channeling your time your energy uh your your resources into helping with this and trying to tackle poverty and um you know, letting your heart go there, you're uh, sharing the gospel in the DC area with people locally, you're traveling overseas. But for the average person who's like, well, that's, that's a life that feels totally inaccessible to me. You know, I have my nine to five job, I go to work, I'm trying to raise my kids. We're going to be fortunate to make the car payment next month. What do I do? Like how, what needs to change in me? Uh, That's a great question. So I, I, uh, try to land the book on some practical help along those lines. The simple, the simplest way I could put it is one, don't underestimate like today what you can do for urgent need around you. Meaning like the most urgent need people have is to be reconciled to God mm. and that's going to affect their whole eternity. And the reality is pretty much all of us are going to be around people today who are separated from God right now and they're not guaranteed tomorrow. So there is an urgent need. Like we've got to, so don't underestimate, like it's not just, okay, uh, go lead a mission organization, just like share the gospel. Like you know, we've, we've talked about it, but like that you, you are now addressing like the most urgent need in somebody else's life uh, when you do that. So uh, don't underestimate that opportunity. And then, and then I just try to encourage like people, okay, just look right around you. Where do you see uh, physical need around you in your community? And just what, and maybe something really small. Like I was, I was, at, I say really small uh, because what I'm about to say is not necessarily, not at all small, but I was talking with a guy yesterday who uh, read 
uh, an advanced copy of the book. And he and his wife were like, okay, what can we do? So they, they're not, they don't have like excessive wealth. I mean, certainly compared to the rest of the world, but, uh, and, uh, but he, uh, he's an editor, uh, magazine. And he basically said, all right, we're going to, we're going to foster a child. And so they just had hmm. three month old baby in the middle of the night coming to their home. Like, so I, I, I mean, I just think, okay, that's pretty cool. Like that's one like simple story, but don't underestimate the importance of that story for that three month old. Right. And, and whatever God's going to do from that, like, and that's just one story. So just open up like what might he be calling an individual, a family to do then to think about, like I, I was talking with a, a couple recently who, uh, yeah, read an advanced copy of the book and they, uh, they have a, a dental office and they just said, okay, like we have profits that come in through our dental office. How can we steward those profits best for what matters most in not just in this world, but in eternity. And so like they are uh, identifying some different projects where they're going to get behind some, uh, some pretty powerful things happening around the world amidst urgent spiritual and physical need. And it's, and it just kind of is infusing a whole new picture of life into cleaning teeth because they know that the fruit of this is not just going to be God being glorified and, and good, excellent work being done on teeth, but it's also going to be God being glorified in a place where his name has not been known. That's incredible. You know, there, David, I so appreciate it. If I can just throw something really, really small that actually was bigger than I thought. So I've, I'm founding pastor now, which means I'm not in the church most days. I haven't got the itinerary I used to have or that you would have or that kind of thing. So I do a lot more of this these days. And I'm like, you know, I'm not sharing the gospel as much as I used to. I'm not like in that interface all the time. And so I started praying this prayer a few months ago and I actually forgot about it until this interview. I'm like, oh, I better start praying that again. But it was like, God, use me strategically in the people I meet today, whether that is a flight attendant or, you know, some Starbucks person, all the stereotypes you think, uh, really don't matter. Man, I started praying that and I'm like, okay, you can turn off the tap now. Like this is enough, but it's, I don't know whether that reorients me or whether it opens up spiritual channels or what that does, but something as simple as that to see people through a different lens and to look at the opportunity around you can be pretty exceptional. That's such a good word. Yes. And, and to, yeah, not to underestimate today and God's sovereignty and who he's putting in your path. That's 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 good. And I got to write a letter to my sponsored child, which my wife always reminds me I need to do as well. We have some sponsored kids and so on. David, this is great. Um, so the book is called Something Needs to Change. It comes out uh, probably the day we broadcast this, I would think. So uh, that's exciting for that. And then um, where can people find you online these days, David? I would say uh, the primary place people can go is radical.net. Uh, that has yeah just resources from the church. I mean, if anybody's ever in Metro Washington, D.C., they're welcome to come to McLean Bible Church. But uh, uh, sermons, resources, and just the whole purpose of Radical uh, through a variety of different avenues is to uh, help encourage, serve the church when it comes to the mission of Christ. There's one question. This is fun for people who actually listen to the end because we do have a few more minutes. I forgot to ask you this question because it's been a source of research for me for my uh, next book. But one of the things you just kind of mentioned, by the way, was that you didn't have a lot of tech access on on these tracks. I mean, you literally are where there are no cell phones. There's no place to plug your phone in you know, the whole deal. 
And so uh, you use the phrase, I was alone with my thoughts as you're processing all this. Just as a final, final question, I would love to ask you, did you notice, because we live in an age of digital distraction, did you notice a difference in you? Did that, did that make an impact on you? Without question, like no question. Uh, yes, it's it, it, to the point where it's like, okay, I'm ready to be back home with my family without, you know, you know, I'm ready to see my wife, see my kids, but otherwise like, I don't, I don't want to come back uh, in, in, in that sense. Like there's just a really, well, and especially I think it's uh, all the more so in the, in the mountains. Like, I mean, just time alone with the Lord in the mountains is, I mean, you're sitting at 12,000 feet, Gary, and, you're looking around. It feels like you're in a valley because there's these huge peaks all around you, and you're like, it just hits you like you're you're there with your Bible open. You're on your knees. You're like, I am speaking with the God who like said a word and this happened. Like He created all wow. this, and right now He's talking to me, and I'm talking to Him, and He's actually listening to me. Like ah, and and yes, there's just you're. You're alone in that sense with God. And then just, yes, with your thoughts. I, I mean, trekking those trails is part of what I love about trekking because there's, there are a lot of places that are just really narrow, so you can't even talk to anybody else around you. So it's just like quiet walking and thinking and not being distracted. And you just get to a whole other level in your thoughts. And you get to a whole other level in your heart when you're not, when you don't have this like quick fix to, pull up your phone and get this information or look at that or be distracted by that. Like you just have time to, uh, to go deeper in your own heart and your own mind than, than I think we most often do in the world we live in. Was it freaky at first? Uh, I, I don't know. I would say, I know, I, I really think it's refreshing at first. I, I mean, are you sure your impulse is like, okay, I need to check something, but it's like, well, yeah. I mean, you just kind of cross that off. You can't do Phone's it. Phone's dead and I can't see anything. Yeah. yeah. So just like, okay, all right. Just, just, and so, but, but it gets to the point where like, I've enjoyed it so much. Like I, even when it kind of, the trails widen, I like want to stay back so that nobody will talk to me because like this is, I mean, we'll get to a rest stop. We'll have time to hang out. That'll be great. Like I love people, but like, these are my moments. Like unlike most any time in my life. I mean, I, I say that, I mean, I try to I, yeah, spend time with the Lord every morning just alone, but it's just different. It's just different. Yeah. Has it changed your practice now that you're back? Um, uh, that's a good question, Carrie. Has it changed my practice? That's really sad. I don't think it has. Mm. I'm trying to carve out more distraction for it was it was Nietzsche who said there's no thinking without walking, mm. which is really interesting. If you start to study, I've been I've just been this has been a personal passion point of mine, but Nietzsche said you can't have any good thoughts without walking. And if you look at the number of major figures whose ideas outlived their lifetime. Um, most of their writing and most of their thinking had to do with at least a couple of consistencies. One is no distraction. Like Mark Twain was famous for his writing cabin. Just like you're thinking, okay, you're living in 1882. What distractions could you have? But like his family would have to throw rocks at the writing cabin to remind him it was lunch. 
And um, uh, Nietzsche said you have to walk. And as they're doing neural, like there's neural science now that shows that in the actual act of walking and being out in creation, your thoughts go to different places, which is why I wanted to ask the question. Because I'm really glad you asked that, Gary. That's that's a good question. Like that, maybe that's something that needs to change. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm looking at it in my life, sitting here talking to you on an iMac with an iPad prompting me with my questions. And my wife had called me. She's the only one allowed to get through the "do not disturb" line, along with my kids on the uh, uh, on my phone. And she called twice while we were in this interview. And I'm like, "Are you okay? Yeah, I wanted to know what you wanted at Costco. I'm like, no, "I'm good." So, anyway, David, this has been a joy, and we will find you at Radical.net. Thank you so much for your contribution to the church and for a fascinating conversation. Well, likewise, Gary. I'm just. Thank you, like, uh, second time doing this. And I just, yeah, I just walked away last time in a way I distinctly remember, and this time just really encouraged. Just appreciate you. Well, thank you. Your gift. Thanks, David. Thanks, Karen. Well, that was uh, pretty phenomenal. And I'm excited about the lineup that we've got this fall because N.T. Wright comes on the podcast. Uh, He's one of the greatest theologians, I think, of our lifetime. And we talk about some of the same things, but of course, from a different perspective. I also have Gordon McDonald, one of the wisest leaders alive today. Pat Lencioni is back. Albert Tate. Uh, Who else are we going to talk to? Carlos Whitaker. John Acuff, Francis Chan is coming back. We've got Chris Brown, Chris Lemma. Um, I think I've even got Larry Osborne convinced to come back on. So it's going to be a fantastic fall. I'm so excited for it. And of course, if you subscribe, uh, you get this all for free. Also, I forgot to mention my wife and a good longtime friend of ours, Rob Meter, a pediatrician, are coming on board to talk about their new podcast and how to help families win and parents win when it comes to childhood anxiety. Yeah, we kind of cover all the topics that I think are interesting anyway. Next week, we're back with a fresh episode with Clay Scroggins. Clay is a good friend. He's got a brand new book on how to lead in a world of distraction. And here's an excerpt from my conversation with Clay. I'm driving home, you know, one of those like you can hardly see kind of moments. And um, the, the, I had about an hour, about 30 minute drive home. And then I sat in the driveway for about 30 minutes and I'm just trying to process like, what is this? And I think that moment of solitude was really healthy for me. And I started, uh, realizing that I am feeling, uh, like a failure and I, I've rarely felt like a failure in my life. And then I was wrestling with, well, am I a failure? And, you know, at first I was trying to argue with myself, like, no, you're not a failure, you know, doing the whole uh, Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live thing, you know, you're yeah. good enough, you're smart enough, doggone it, people like you, that kind of thing, which I'm like, that's not really helpful, honestly. Um, I don't want to trick myself into thinking that I'm not, that I'm winning when I'm not. I mean, there might, there, the truth that at the time might have been, I might have been failing, I don't know. Um, and then I don't want to also just go, well, I'm never going to put myself out there again. So that goes live next Tuesday. If you subscribe, you get it all for free. Remember, uh, because these are time sensitive, check out prowebfire.com. Use the coupon code CARRY2019 to get a subscription-based web service. And if you act now before the end of September, you will get a free custom website build included with that, which is exciting. And Remodel Health is saving uh, organizations millions of dollars as we speak on healthcare and in many cases, improving the benefits your team will receive. So if you're interested in innovative solutions, visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry 
and download their church buyer's guide for free. And I know a lot of you are working on your 2020 budget, so this is a great time to head over and do that. Uh, also, final note, just remember, we're doing hashtag Ask Carrie. So get on the socials, ask me a question. Starting next month, I'm going to start answering them. So really excited for that. Guys, thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.